Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Hello, Jim, Catherine, and Kevin, I suppose. Um, I have been waiting eagerly for the next podcast, and it hasn't come. The last was about Thanksgiving travel and why nobody should do it, which, of course, a lot of people did do it, and we have to wait for the results of that. But now I am wondering, did they all get COVID? Are they in a cloud someplace? Have they been stranded on the road? Is Catherine, has she been eaten by her puppy? And yet I don't know what's going on anymore. And now I have to wait for these people to reappear at some point. Jim, we forgot to tell people we were taking a week off. I didn't know we were taking a week off. I forgot to tell you yeah. that we were taking a week off. <laughs> so It's healthy. That was our first week off since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, so... Sorry. Sorry um, we didn't tell you. That was really bad form. But no, I, I didn't get eaten by my puppy yet, um, but we'll keep you posted on that front. And uh, we are back. And we will continue doing weekly. The listener very astutely noted that, yes, millions of people went to Thanksgiving. Did you? No. I would love to have gone and seen my family. This is the first time in my life that I have not. In your life? Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Thanksgiving is a good holiday for my family, so it was sad. Yeah. But... It's tough because, you know, everyone just has to do their part, I think, even if you think you can do it in a low-risk way. You didn't travel because you're already I'm with already your parents. with my parents, so no, yeah. I didn't travel. But we did, just the three of us had a little sort of, like, play of Thanksgiving <laughs> where we were p- pretended that other people were also with us. Oh, did you have cardboard cutouts? or No, we just sort of imagined in the silences that, you know, wonderful conversation and laughing was happening. <laughs> but instead, it was just us staring out. Uh, no, it was nice, though. Um, yeah, so Thanksgiving is past. A lot of people did travel. Are we supposed to be worried now? Like, what happens next? Well, that's part of what makes understanding the ramifications of this sort of thing difficult, because there is mm-hmm. this lag. Yeah. You see cases rise, and then you see hospitalizations rise, and... People don't immediately start having symptoms. And then once they have symptoms, they don't immediately require hospitalization. And then, you know, they don't immediately die. So so there's this lag in the numbers that will come over the next two to three weeks, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is right before Christmas. Right. So I guess all we can say now is if you're planning on doing Christmas, don't. Or traveling for Christmas, that is. And being with people outside your bubble, don't do that. What we could say definitively is there are more people hospitalized right now than there have been at any other point in the pandemic in the U.S. And we know that number is going to increase probably significantly because of the travel and congregating we just saw. Right. We will certainly be in a worse position right before Christmas holidays and Hanukkah is coming up as well. Right. So all the more important to really understand what's going on and pay attention to what's happening and follow precautions, which is an inelegant segue to what we're talking about today, which is uh, misinformation. We've gotten a lot of questions from listeners about sort of things they've heard, 
uh, wondering if they're true. Some of them are, you know, more explicitly, obviously untrue. Like my family member believes this thing and I don't know how to talk to them. So we were thinking today we would just tick through a couple of these and talk about everything from outright conspiracy theories to confusing misinformation or misleading information uh, and how to think through those and talk to people who, uh, who you know who are spreading information that isn't true or taking actions based on information that is incorrect. Hmm. I love conspiracy theories. Do you? Why? That psychology is fascinating. Like mm -hmm. reasonable people suddenly take on certain ideas that seem completely like you wouldn't expect it. Have you ever believed in a conspiracy theory? Have you ever like toyed with uh, one? No. To your knowledge? Right. No. That's the thing. You might not even know. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people who genuinely embrace these things who also uh, think uh, it's not true. Right. Well, we're going to do our best. The, the one thing we do know about or that you do know about is COVID. So we're going to try to go through and separate fact from fiction with a couple of questions. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to answer them. Okay. Okay. I'll do, I'll do uh, my best. All right. Here is a question from a listener. Quote, I live with someone who believes the reported number of U.S. COVID cases is being inflated by hospitals to, quote, get more money. They don't believe there is a pandemic or even an epidemic. Well, you know, hospitals are not doing well on the whole. It's been a tremendous burden on staff. It's meant closing and canceling and delaying a lot of the elective procedures that tend to be more revenue generating streams for hospitals. Mm hmm. Hospital beds are usually close to capacity. So anyway, no, hospitals are not profiting off of this. They're actually losing money for the most part, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah, losing money for the most part. What you've told me is that the way hospitals actually make money, which is not actually, the, <laughs> it's one of the problems with our system is the way that hospitals make money is with elective procedures, most of which are now basically canceled or postponed because of the pandemic. So it's not actually like the things they do make money on, <laughs> um, which they might have an incentive to inflate or, or perform when it's not absolutely necessary are canceled right now or far lower than it would be in other years. Right. Right. Yeah. In, in most cases, you know, the, it's not just elective stuff, but kind of high cost uh, imaging tests and procedures like cardiac catheterization and, uh, surgeries that aren't really part of the COVID experience. You know, you might get a CT scan, which is pretty standard to look at your lungs, but for long periods, people are just kind of convalescing. Like they don't need a lot of new expensive diagnostic tests. They don't need big surgeries or procedures. Right. But they do need to occupy a hospital bed for a long time, and they do require a lot of vigilance and, and attention from staff. Here's a basically similar version of the same theory. This is from Emily. One of my longtime staunchly conservative family friends was telling me that an older relative of his was tested days before her death for COVID-19. Allegedly, both tests came back negative, but the hospital wrote on her death certificate that the cause of death was COVID-19. My friend tells me that this is because hospitals receive money from the government when someone dies of COVID-19. You know, I've, I've had to fill out death certificates when I was in residency, you, um, you know, it, you have to go down and fill out paperwork, and you go through the chart and do your best to, you know, kind of put in order what were the, what were the issues going on here, and it, 
it's actually uncommon that one person died of only one thing. You know, maybe if it was an accident, an injury, mm-hmm. that would be the case. But oftentimes you people, people get old and they have heart conditions and diabetes and they develop pneumonia and then mm-hmm. they have a, a stroke. Sorry, Moses is uh, squeaking his toy, <laughs> which kind of detracts from the gravity of what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Sometimes it is legitimately hard to say what was the thing that put them over the edge. Mm -hmm. But what if, I mean, what would be the possible scenario where tests came back negative, but the hospital wrote that the cause of death was COVID? That seems strange for sure, right? Yeah, that seems very strange. So I don't believe this has definitely happened, but assuming if we take that as a fact, Mm-hmm. that it did happen somewhere. COVID-19 is a clinical diagnosis. It is something that is made in the presence of symptoms, a person's appearance, and their history and diagnostic tests, just like every test. Um, so it's not the know. test alone? It's the test combined with other evidence? Right. You know, that's the whole art of medicine. If there were just one test, it would be like anyone could do it, like a robot could do it. Mm -hmm. If you come into the emergency room and you're having chest pain and you have a history of heart disease and there's pain radiating down your left arm and you're sweating and um, they do an EKG and it doesn't look bad. They don't say, oh, you're fine. Mm -hmm. there's no one single thing that can make diagnoses like this and and covid covid is similar so it's possible that someone had all the symptoms and had the ct that looked like they had covid and for whatever reason had a test that came back negative because they're sometimes due that they still were diagnosed with with covid Mm -hmm. but we're running through hypotheticals here yeah yeah but in either case there's no incentive there's no financial incentive for hospitals to say that someone died of covid19 when they didn't? There is not a financial incentive. The CARES Act did give a, a little bit of money for hospitals that are being hard hit by COVID, but it seems that in almost every case that, that these hospitals are struggling financially, it's not enough for them to recover. And when you're filling out a death certificate, when you're making a diagnosis for at, at an individual level for a doctor, there's no financial incentive to lie, you know, even if you were that unscrupulous that you would just put down whatever diagnosis got you money, there's not a financial incentive to to lie about death counts. Um, You know, that's just an extremely cynical idea. And it also just doesn't accord with the fact that hospitals are, are struggling right now financially. It's the same theme that you see in a lot of concerns, which is fear that someone is, um, there's this, you know, systematic profit motive to have people suffer uh, or to lie about the prevalence of a disease or something that's causing harm. Um, That's a constant trope in misinformation and myths. And there's good reason to be skeptical of medical establishment, but no. Healthcare workers are suffering. Hospitals are suffering financially. No one is uh, benefiting from this. Okay. Um, all right. So nobody is pretending that more people are dying of COVID than they are. And in fact, if anything, I think we've heard that we're probably undercounting. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about advanced directives on here a while ago. And there are a lot of people who near the end of life... Um, 
you know, are in nursing homes or, or even just at home and pass away and don't want medical care for, for lots of reasons. And if you're on hospice, you don't get medical diagnostic tests mm-hmm. when you're in a situation like this. And so we don't know. Okay. Here's another one. We have another, we've gotten many questions about masks, which to be fair, Oh, Moses. Is he, That's Moses, not me. He's crying. <laughs> well, it's he okay just wants cry, attention. Jim. Jim, there's no shame in being emotional. <laughs> this time is difficult. It's really not me. I. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jim. I should hold him. I'm so sorry I, about whatever you're feeling. Okay, here's, the, here's another big area of misinformation, which is masks. In fairness, I was extremely confused about masks for the first couple of months because... Mm-hmm. The guidance from official sources was, in fact, incorrect. So it's not unreasonable for there to be confusion about masks. However, here's an email from a listener named Alicia. She said that a mask requirement in her state had parents freaking out. She said there's a lot of talk about pulling students because they don't think their kids should wear a mask all day. Part of the argument, people say that there is no science that masks work and that they do more harm than good. One of the arguments being that people are breathing their own CO2 and that masks can cause other lung issues. I'm able to find tons of evidence to refute what they say, but it feels futile because people are so set in this misinformation. Um, This is pretty common, right? People have been saying masks could be worse than not wearing masks. No one credible has said that. I I think we are risking engaging in this sort of information debate when that is an ineffective tactic. But just in case anyone's unclear on that, masks are effective. They're not perfectly effective. There are always going to be stories where I was wearing a mask and I got it nonetheless. And that doesn't mean it it wasn't effective. All these things are tools in a toolkit. Mm -hmm. But when someone comes to you, you can kind of break down, is this a genuine concern? Are you really afraid of wearing a mask? In which case that, you know, that deserves to be taken seriously? Or are you using this information to justify your belief that you just don't want to wear a mask or that you don't trust things because they're coming from Anthony Fauci, which is a different type of thing. But basically, a mask is helping to filter out some of the things that you might be exposed to that you shouldn't, that could be dangerous to you. Could it be trapping any of this CO2 that you're breathing out and making you breathe it back in in a bad way? (laughs) No, masks um, are not suffocating you. Okay. Could there be like bacteria or something that you're that is getting caught in there that is stuffing you up? No. If if you were sharing a mask with someone and passing it back and forth, and that person was sick, you could expect that you would get sick. But if it's just your own exhalation, that should be fine. Um, I think. You know, there are recommendations for if you have to leave your mask sitting someplace for a while, you you know, you eventually do want to clean it because you'll have accumulations of, I don't know, whatever gunk that you might have been exposed to. But there's no, there's no credible evidence that I've seen that anyone should be concerned about, you know, mask making you sick. Okay, so that's the science of it. That's the information. But as you mentioned, there may be two reasons why people might be uncomfortable wearing masks. And one is they don't have the information. And the other is they've heard things that say the opposite. How are people supposed to sort out 
what's credible and what's not. And how would someone like Alicia talk to people who are saying they don't want their children to wear masks? Right. Why do you think this mask misinformation exists? I really do think we got a, we got off to a bad start on mask information at the beginning. Right. Of the this is how a lot of problems start with health information. When you start going into rabbit holes of, well, how could something possibly go wrong from this healthy thing you advised? You know, and is it possible for you to tell me that no one has ever had a negative consequence of wearing a mask or that no one has ever had a negative consequence of getting a vaccine, et cetera. And then people focus on that rare possibility, which can never totally be ruled out over the overwhelming evidence that, you know, if everyone wore masks, that we would save thousands of lives. Um, And it's easy to go down that rabbit hole, but everyone wants to be safe and it can be real seductive to believe the thing that you want to believe rather than the thing that the evidence is is telling you. And mm-hmm. no one wants to wear masks. I mean, well, some people do. But most people would actually love it if it turned out that masks were not necessary. I would love it. I don't like wearing them. They're extremely and, gross and annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a sector of theories that, it, that are just totally random. Um, I'm just going to read... A couple of them. Okay. Kelly wrote in with some claims that her brother had forwarded her. He'd listened to a podcast with a doctor. She Googled him and and said he seems to be hawking supplements and making assertions without research behind them. And he talked about the coronavirus being tied to pesticide use, that the response is worse than the virus, and that cold weather months are bad for viruses because of air pollution. I don't think we have to address all those things, but she wants to know where can I direct my brother to find some more reliable sources that don't make crazy claims and make him spend money trying to fix something. Hmm. What you're describing is this sort of constant problem of quackery in medicine. Mm-hmm. So Social Distance, the podcast, is where I would direct your brother, I guess. <laughs> um, but there's always going to be someone selling a simple explanation selling a truth that ostensibly only they have access to or a small group of people have access to and you get this insider knowledge that no one else has and it also happens to be what you'd love to hear that there is some supplement that you don't need to wear a mask that this isn't a big deal and everything's going to be fine as long as you trust me by my product they're these same tropes that play out in all kinds of beliefs about right people might say for instance (laughs) The one thing you need to do is listen to this podcast. (laughs) Right. It's very, you know, I would love it if there was a supplement. Yeah. And and we also tend to, in these situations, especially where we feel there's high risk, say, you know, what's the harm? Um, The supplement industry has worked really hard to tell us that there are no harms. um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that if even there's a 1% chance of this vitamin helping me, you know, why not try it? I have some extra spending money, but it's malicious. Well, I mean, I guess I would also say, not to be boring, but journalism is in part made for this purpose. There are people like us whose jobs it is to sort through this information and try to verify it and disseminate it to the public. So The Atlantic, (laughs) other newspapers, you know, places where professional journalists have it as their job to sort through all these claims and uh, present the facts is a good place to start. 
hopefully. I mean, I also think if it were my brother, I, I think one of the things that's kind of poignant about this is, about this kind of misinformation in particular, is it makes you think that you are not like everyone else, mm-hmm. that you somehow have been given access to a special idea or or some exclusive information that other people don't want you to have and that other people are lying to you, you know, for their own whatever nefarious reasons like profit or something and that only by doing this one thing you will be not like the rest of the lemmings, you know? Yeah. And the truth is the exact opposite, which is that you're being played. Yeah. You are being played. And it's like, I keep thinking of some like, like cruel candid camera joke or something where it's like you've won the lottery and then they're like never mind ha 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 you know um i'm just wondering if sensitivity to that being a painful experience like to realize that you have been fooled you know yeah is um and that you in fact are just like everyone else just as vulnerable and confused as everyone else like that has to be hard and i'm sure treating people who are sort of talking about misinformation with anger or ridicule only helps reinforce their feeling that like they're in a kind of noble fight. Right. You're describing confirmation bias. Once someone has taken a position and decided that it's right, you're kind of attacking them when you attack that position. Even if it's something that seems completely not personal. You're not talking about their religion or their appearance or something. You're talking about whether masks work. But to them, it is personal because they have taken this position, which they know to be radical because... (laughs) Sorry. He's upset about the masks. I know, he's huge. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That, uh, you know, people take these things as, as part of their identity. And yeah, so you right. are, you know, it is personal. So it's never like just the facts. Um, right. I'm sorry. He, someone's coming up it's the okay. stairs and he's he's barking at it. He's a he's not an attack dog. He could never protect me from anyone. He just would lick the person right in the leg. Okay, it's gone. Um, but Catherine, do you think there can ever be medical consensus on anything or scientific consensus? Or does this phenomenon where the outsider is telling you something different, is that just always going to prevent it? This is something I think about all the time. It's been for years. I think about it so much and I want to know an answer. I I don't have an answer. Well, yeah, it seems like there's scientific consensus on a lot of things. I think the thing that's genuinely confusing about scientific consensus is that science is both a very rigorous process but it all is also by definition open to new information which may change the conclusion. So I think like scientific consensus means most people agree that based on the evidence and information we have available at this time that this is the conclusion. Now something may come up and there may be new information and the the consensus may evolve. And that's part of what's confusing about it cuz we kind of I think it's understandable to feel like, well, science said this. And if there's any sort of deviation from the thing they said, well, they must be lying to us. But -hmm. it's actually because science is a process, not a end point. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm asking more about unanimous public adoption of a scientific truth. 
you know, like oh, even they're well, flat no, earthers. I mean, no. Still, they're people yeah, who, no. you know, no, no, no. Um, the the fact of an idea becoming too widely accepted actually tends to provoke pushback in itself yeah, because yeah. there is so much agreement. You see yeah. contrarian movements, and that seems to be the big source of a lot of what the po- questions you've asked me about and what listeners are writing in about the common thing is just like pushback push against consensus. consensus. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's always going to be people who are out there stoking that for personal profit. Right. Right. Like, you know, the consensus at one time was like Katy Perry is an interesting pop star. Well, that was correct. Some of us didn't even have real thoughts about it, but just thought because everyone else thinks this is good, I'm going to say it's bad. Yes. Because I just don't trust all of these people getting together and deciding that thing. Right. It happens all the time in popular culture. I mean, that's why nothing stays popular indefinitely. There's always a pushback. Oh, I know who my person is, which I shouldn't say out loud because I'll be hated. But Drake. I think I'm a contrarian on Drake. Oh. But then again, back when Hotline Bling was big... And everybody was like, this is such a great song. I was like, I don't get it. This is a bad, stupid song. That's it, true. And it then is. it just wormed its way into my heart. And I kind of like it now. Well, <laughs> we need to talk about this uh, separately. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think the takeaway, though, is that like a gut response when someone comes to you with a crazy idea or an idea that you think is just, just wild and bizarre, um, mm-hmm. like that, that, that their, their kid shouldn't wear a mask because they're going to get sick from it, is... Yeah. That if they've adopted that idea because it is anti-establishment, you know, not maybe not consciously, but the more that you come at them with no, but look, the consensus is this. Yeah, the establishment sort of, says right. Yeah. That is not the answer because no more than someone who says their favorite artist is some weird obscure thing and they hate Drake. You're not going to make them like Drake by saying, but he's so popular. Drake is popular, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. And and I think that's one of the mistakes that we make and so then directing people to like journalists and the uh, media establishment might also make things worse (laughs) um i worry about that but i think that's why individual conversations are really important we need to get people on the same page especially as the vaccine rolls out because we need like 70 percent of the population to take it okay well that leads us to the vaccine Now, vaccines have long been fodder for misinformation and uh, sort of like pushing back against the consensus. Vaccines, skepticism, and conspiracy theories are not new to coronavirus. We've certainly gotten a lot of questions about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's see. I mean, I think you can imagine what the questions are. but, But I think the thing that is interesting with coronavirus is even people who are not vaccine skeptics, because of the speed and unusual nature of the development of this vaccine, people are like, wait a second, is this yeah. safe? Here's a here's a question from Olivia. I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any means, but the news that the coronavirus vaccine was developed at such record speed, and it's far more effective than most vaccines in history, and all the vaccine makers seem to produce results within a week or so of each other, seems antithetical to the normal vaccine process. Although there's nothing normal about this time and lots of money has been poured into this effort, I am curious, how can we really know it's safe? Right. Um, 
I think that's a legitimate question. I mean, this oh, yeah. she's and 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 I think Olivia acknowledges she says, I know this sounds a little crazy, but I'm just feeling very skeptical. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. I think skepticism is in general a good trait. Um, yes. as long as it doesn't kind of take over other <laughs> processes of evaluation. Right. I think the term anti-vaxxer is really misused a lot too. Um, that there's a small set of people who are kind of knowingly, misleadingly profiting from spreading conspiracy theories, but the many more people who just have questions, just don't understand, are concerned or, or hesitant, mm-hmm. is to, when you label a person anti-vax who's in that space, you can actually risk um, radicalizing people. But now everyone is in that space with the, in terms of yep. this coronavirus vaccine, right? So there, there's going to be a lot of reason you're going to have multiple international agencies vetting these vaccines for safety. You're going to have, you know, leaders of countries and th- leaders of the pharmaceutical companies taking the vaccine, all kinds of medical experts taking it. So there's going to be every possible reassurance that no one is, you know, deliberately misleading you, but it will never be possible to say that five years from now, we don't recognize some patterns among people who got the vaccine that were were simply impossible to have you know known about yeah i would not label that person anti-vax like i think anti-vax is if someone is you know just convinced that the whole thing is a scam to put tracking devices in our brains or something Mm -hmm. and yet the all the good news about the vaccine kind of falls apart if you know we have a wave of disinformation and we only get something like 35% of the population vaccinated, you know, because we'll mm-hmm. still have to wear masks. <laughs> like we'll still have to distance. The virus will be percolating in our society in a way that we will ne- never be able to be free of, not never, but for a long, long time, won't be able to feel certain that we're not going to get it. Yeah. Okay. Last thing. I'm going to do rapid fire and you answer yes or no. These are conspiracy theories, some of which we've talked about before, but we've gotten questions about these. Okay, you ready? Yes. You're just going to have to say yes or no. True or false. Okay? (sighs) Okay. Extreme temperatures kill the virus. True. True? Well, not ambient temperatures that occur on Earth, but when you expose the virus to high levels of heat, it will die. But not okay. like it's a 90 degree day, so the virus can't su- survive. That's not true. Okay. So extreme, not abnormal, like not survivable by humans for long periods of time temperatures. Okay. Supplements like vitamin C, zinc, green tea, echinacea can help your immune system fight off the virus. True or false? <laughs> um, if you were deficient in any of those, you could have a problem with your immune function, but most of us are getting plenty uh, vitamins and minerals in, in a dated, uh, in, in, in normal um, diet. So no, I would not recommend any supplements right now. The coronavirus was engineered in a lab in China. No. That's false. COVID-19 is no worse than the flu. That is clearly false. Then why are you saying it so slowly? Well, because... Um, e- of course, there are people who have had cases of it that are more mild than their own experience with the flu. But if, sure, o- sure. across the population, we've seen no virus have an impact this deadly since the flu of 1919, 1918, 1919. Okay. Um, 
All right, all right. Moving on. Spikes in cases are because of increased testing. No. The, the, yeah, no. <laughs> but the, the, that's where, you know... <laughs> yes, true, you te- just true or false? Okay, false. We can achieve herd immunity by letting the virus spread through the population. I can't do that in one word. <laughs> if, you were to, if, you, if you tolerate millions of deaths, um, theoretically, you could. And... Finally, true or false, it was actually you crying earlier, not Moses. <laughs> if I did cry at some point, I would not have a problem telling you about it. I just don't cry. Have you ever cried in your life? Yeah, but it's been a long, long time. Okay, well, that is also something we'll need to talk about another time. It's not healthy never to cry. Anyway, um, okay, we're done for the day. I hope this was helpful. I th- I hope it really is because this really matters. Like I I th- this matters. Individual conversations matter. Like mm-hmm. if everyone can talk to one person they know and just honestly have long, thoughtful, ask questions, really understand where they're coming from, really understand what it's driving this belief that they have. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's how we have the sort of grassroots understanding that we need. Okay. So hopefully this is helpful in that. I don't know. That's Please keep assignment. writing to us about what you're hearing. Okay. From- people all right um this show was produced today by kevin townsend write us at social distance at the atlantic.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 202-642-6487 and if you like this show and you want to access all of the atlantic's journalism we have plenty of articles uh that go deeper into some of the questions that were answered here you can subscribe at the atlantic.com slash support us that url is how we know you came from the podcast so it helps us out um okay that's it we'll talk next week have a good cry if you need to no i'm cool i'm good i'm good yeah all right bye bye so should we go electric i think we should go electrified with toyota electrified Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.